Hello, Movie Marathoners, and welcome to episode 83 of the Movie Marathoners podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mati, and joining me this week is my girlfriend, Dana Nyland. Welcome back, Dana. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Today is March 1st, and I feel like a lot of people, at least online, which is where I mostly interact with people, have had a lot of reactions today to it being March again, just because like that's when sort of, at least in the US, everything started going down with the pandemic. I don't really have as much of a reaction to it being March right now, but that seems really like the, the zeitgeisty thing to do. So basically, I'm doing fine. Yeah, it's definitely March again. But, um, you know, in terms of awards season, it's technically like January, February still because we have not had the Academy Awards. Those are not until the end of April. So it doesn't quite feel like March yet. Yeah, I guess I I feel like I don't want I feel like people are like, oh, it's already March. But I'm like, okay, like time, I want it to pass. Like, let's, you know, get these months rolling. (laughs) So the idea that it's like actually January or February is not appealing to me. Okay, okay. Well, this week we are doing a special episode. We'll be foregoing the normal episode format to recap the results of the 2021 Golden Globes, which were held last Sunday. Other than the Oscars, the Golden Globes is probably the noisiest of the award shows, even though it isn't necessarily the most meaningful. We'll talk about that in a sec, but regardless, the way this is going to work is that for each category, we'll recap who won, who we predicted would win, and who we wanted to win, based, of course, on the films and shows that we did see. So obviously, we haven't seen everything since not even all of it is actually available for people to see, but I think we did a relatively good job at covering most of our bases at least for the films. Um, Some of the TV shows we have not seen, but of course, we're going to talk about them anyways. So we will be starting with the television awards, and then we'll go into the film awards, culminating with the best picture drama category. But before getting into the categories, I thought it would just be useful to list out a few facts. I don't know if they're fun facts, but they are facts about the Golden Globes. So the Golden Globes awards are voted on by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association which is a iconically opaque group consisting of 87 people currently. These people are allegedly journalists and photographers, and they report on the entertainment industry in the U.S., but they report to territories that are predominantly outside of the U.S., so they represent roughly 55 countries. But despite this representation and despite a push in recent years to increase the number of women and the number of people of color in their rank, There is not a single black member in the HFPA. So this was reported very recently by Josh Rottenberg at the LA Times. The article goes into a lot of detail about who the members of the HFPA are insofar as specific people that have acknowledged that they are part of the HFPA. Um, It goes into their history throughout the years of accepting bribes, of selling stuff that they were given to by different companies. Um, to make extra money. Uh, It's all pretty shady stuff, but the article is definitely worth a read. Um, I wanted to just recite one sentence from the article to give some bizarre context, I would say, to the HFPA and who its members are. And so the article says, according to an antitrust lawsuit filed last year against the HFPA by Norwegian journalist Kirsti Fla, one member of the HFPA is in their 90s and is deaf and legally blind. So a lot of these individuals in the HFPA are quite old. For this specific individual, um, I'm, I'm not quite sure how that individual evaluates films, 
But um, a lot of these people stay in the HFPA because there is no reason to leave. It's relatively low requirements of like journalistic output that allows you to stay in the HFPA. And so it's very likely that many of these people don't actually see or actively engage in film criticism before voting. So basically, this random group of people somehow became the second most important award show of the award season. The Golden Globes is often a precursor to the Oscars, and the wins at the Golden Globes, while they are often different from the Academy Awards, individual narratives can be spun from those wins at the Golden Globes, and people can gain traction for the rest of the season. But because the group is so small, and because it is so random, you can also get a lot of really bizarre and off-the-wall wins, which made for a pretty wild evening last night. There were definitely a lot of head-scratchers, some pretty big surprises, so it'll be interesting to talk about those. But as we go through these winners, it's just good to keep in mind that the HFPA is not a particularly reputable organization, and it has some very glaring representation problems. Yeah, um, I'm glad that you that you gave that context to the HFPA. It definitely is important because I think that, I mean, I, I know that I, I grew up like not super actively into award shows to the degree that some people are, but I would always watch them with my mom. And like, you know, the, the processes, especially, you know, to a child are, are very opaque. And so you just see these things and you're told from when you're young and like before you really have you know, critical media literacy, you're just like, oh, well, this is what these are the best mm-hmm. performances or these are the best movies. Um, and so I think that it's it's really good that now people are um, probing who is actually in these these organizations that are giving out awards and telling us who, you know, the best performers are, the best films are. And I'm sure that, um, you know, a lot of people have have known all along. And I'm but I'm glad that more attention is being called and more accountability is, um, you know, being asked of the organizations, the HFPA sort of like did a little onstage mea culpa at the event and they were like <laughs> we're gonna be working on that and it's it's always it's weird to see in you know 2021 an organization be like you know we've we we heard you and like we are going to start you know doing better because it's like what does it say about this organization that in all of these years it never occurred to you to change and, you know, that that's not to say that, you know, it's it's not always good to grow and that people shouldn't take steps in the right direction. But it does really make you wonder about these organizations where, you know, it, it didn't seemingly it wasn't a priority for them to to diversify at all. Well, there's never been like journalistic proof. Right. I feel like we've long known that the HFPA is not particularly diverse. It's pretty easy to parse out. A lot of these voting bodies are very well known to not really be as diverse as the global population, right? So mm-hmm. now that there's actual proof of somebody saying, look, there literally are zero people in the HFPA that are black, that kind of lit a fire under their ass. And then they were like, yeah, yeah, of course we're going to do this now that we've been caught. So, you know, I, I'm not going to give credit to the HFPA for for now deciding that they need to add more black people to their uh league i guess or whatever but um better late than never sort of yeah again i think better to to you know change for the better than to not but but i mean but also i mean i and i think that it it is kind of known even regardless of sort of you know who the body has been made up of even though that hasn't been the conversation for many years i feel like the idea like the golden globes are kind of meaningless has been a narrative for many years because 
everyone knows about the nature of how the awards are won, where often the consideration campaigns are like tantamount to bribery, where like Mm -hmm. um, there was an article um, in particular that was circulating about Emily in Paris, about how the, the creator or, you know, the press people for Emily in Paris, you know, invited HFPA members on a junket to like stay at like this like super luxury hotel and gave them this really nice experience and all these nice things. And then people were like, well, that explains why Emily in Paris, a bad show, got nominated twice. And to be clear, it wasn't just a few HFPA members. It was 30. So when that's like a third of. Yeah. Yeah. When you factor in the fact that there's only 87 of them on like the something like 8000 or 1800, whatever people in the Academy, for example, it's really easy to influence a handful of these people and really swing your votes. Yeah. And I I wonder, you know, what. you know, is is the solution to the sort of like broken award system? Is it is it just to change the makeup of the current voting bodies, or you know, what does it require like more of a holistic restructuring? Honestly, like I I don't know that that's going to happen, but it, it seems like the HFPA seems something that will be hard to reform at least quickly you know it, yeah. it seems like it's one of those things that would require like generational change right I, I wouldn't hold my breath to see a miraculous change from the hfpa but bottom line the thing that's fun about the golden globes is that they are kind of meaningless and there's sort of a a carefree whatever can anything can happen kind of feeling to the award ceremony so they're they're kind of fun and I certainly enjoyed this ceremony. Um, definitely not as much as earlier or previous ceremonies because we didn't get to see the, all the celebrities interact and everything. But for what it was, which was a pretty shitty tech setup uh, ceremony, it was fine. Um, so let's go ahead and just move on to the categories and um, we'll, we'll try and have some fun with this. So we're going to start with the television awards, as I said. Our first category is going to be the best performance by an actor in a supporting role in a series, limited series, or motion picture made for television. So unlike at the Emmys, the supporting actors at the Golden Globes are competing across all the categories. So you have some pretty bizarre people competing for the same award. Case B, the first person in this category that was nominated was John Boyega for Small Axe, which is not a series, limited series, or a motion picture made for television. <laughs> it is a, it is five films that um, share some common similarities. But you have him going up against Brendan Gleeson of The Comey Rule, Daniel Levy of Schitt's Creek, which is a 30-minute comedy, so kind of bizarre to have Boyega and Levy vying for the same award. But you also have Jim Parsons from Hollywood and Donald Sutherland from The Undoing. The winner of this award was John Boyega, and it looks like both Dana and I predicted Daniel Levy from Schitt's Creek. So what do you have to say about that, Dana? Yeah, so I don't I don't think it's worth us going into a small axe categorical rant again, because we've given a lot of airtime to that. But basically, (laughs) if if you haven't heard um, the spiel, like neither of us are anti small axe by any means. But it's it's just the way that it was released and then was categorized for awards just doesn't really make sense because, as Mati mentioned, it's sort of just a portfolio of five thematically linked movies that have nothing to do with each other, but very much are like movies. And it's just really hard. It's just very apples to oranges, I feel, to to compare that to something 
like Schitt's Creek or even to like a, a you know, a limited series like The Undoing. That mm-hmm. was what, like six episodes, maybe seven episodes. Sure. And um, Donald Sutherland was in at least two of them. Yeah. Like he's he's in it for, you know, an aggregate of like 35 minutes, maybe. <laughs> and so to compare that to someone who it like has a major role in a movie, it's just not worth even kind of going through that intellectual process. With that being said, I love John Boyega. Um, I'm glad he won. Um, I like I like Dan Levy a lot too. Um, you know, people are really kind of winding me down that it the correct pronunciation, I guess, might be Levy, but I've really been leaning into saying Levy. Um, so you know Yeah, no complaints here. Um but yeah, I, I like both of them a lot and I, I think that Dan Levy won enough awards that I'm not like sad for him that he didn't get another one. Um, and I think John Boyega is awesome. We haven't seen the small axe movie that he was in. I think he was in Red, White, and Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll, we'll have to check that out. We also saw Donald Sutherland in The Undoing. Like he was good. I don't think he needs an award for it. We didn't watch Hollywood. Did anyone? I don't think so. I can't believe that the Comey rule exists. I think it's <laughs> insane that they already made a series about this. The Comey rule is about the you know schism between like james comey and like the 2016 election and like that's something that shouldn't have been made for like at least 10 more years and i can't believe that you know that a trump performance is already being nominated for a best supporting actor in something it's certainly a little premature but i think people especially the golden globes and the awards ceremonies in general love these sort of political-esque Things so so it makes sense that Brendan Gleeson shows up here. I don't really care too much about this category because I haven't seen many of these, and the one that I did see, which was The Undoing, is ho hum fine. So um, my wanted winner was John Boyega, just because he's a young black actor who deserves the world. He's fantastic, and of course the Star Wars movies, but also in everything else that he does. So I'll be excited to check out Small Axe. And although I predicted Daniel Levy again, yeah, I agree with you. I don't really feel too bad about him not getting another award. They yeah, kind of cleaned Creek up at Emmys. Still won some some things tonight, so I'm sure he's doing okay. Yeah. So we can go ahead and move on to best performance by an actress in a supporting role in a series and limited series or motion picture made for television. So we have Gillian Anderson or Gillian Anderson. Which one is it? Gillian. Oh, okay. We have. Which one was it? I already forgot. Jillian. We have Jillian Anderson for The Crown. We have Helena or Helena Bonham Carter for The Crown. We have Julia Garner for Ozark. We have Annie Murphy for Schitt's Creek and Cynthia Nixon for Ratchet. So the winner of this category was Jillian. Jillian Anderson <laughs> of The Crown. So it looks like we both successfully predicted this. She was kind of the heavy favorite going forward. Dana, do you want to talk about why she was the one that you also wanted to win? Yeah, I mean, I love Gillian Anderson. I think she has just like a, such a cool energy. Um, also, just what a like she's just like a hot mom lady, you know? Like, oh, yeah, she's really hot in the crown. Yeah, <laughs> well, no, she. So in her crown performance is for her portrayal of Margaret Thatcher, Maggie and it's T. it's sort of one of those kind of like biopicy type roles where someone is very much doing an impression. Of someone that um, I feel like awards bodies love to reward mm-hmm. um, because it's it's definitely, you know, someone is doing a voice and they have the really done up hair. And I feel like they're like, this reminds me of the old person. And that means it's good. <laughs> um, and I, I do think, um, you know, I was uh, fortunately not alive during Margaret Thatcher's tenure as um, prime minister of Britain. 
So I don't like have that much of a kind of gauge. I've seen videos of Margaret Thatcher and I think, you know, the kind of performance is fine. I know it's sort of graded on you, just the kind of your awareness, I guess, of how much she was doing a sort of voice. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like the best biopic performances are the performances where the character is not just an impersonation of the person that they're trying to impersonate, right? So to me, the best performances are the ones where you kind of forget that you're watching Gillian Anderson play Margaret Thatcher, and instead you see her and you just think, that's Margaret Thatcher, yeah. or that is the character of Margaret Thatcher. And to me, the Gillian Anderson performance never did that. Um, I think in general, The Crown isn't the best at that, because you do have these prodigious actors playing these prodigious people. So it's mm -hmm. really hard to see Olivia Coleman blend into um, Queen Elizabeth because you know who Olivia Coleman is. But I think that that performance is much better at doing that. And I found the Gillian Anderson character just super grating mm -hmm. and not particularly great. So that's why my preferred winner would be Helena Bonham Carter. I know she doesn't really get much to do in this season. I think the season before season three, she had much more to do. And that probably would have been the time to award her if anybody were to. But candidly speaking, I haven't seen any of the other shows. So <laughs> it was between the crown performances for me. And I just would have preferred not to give Gillian Anderson this award for this ho-hum performance when she's given so many other great ones. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, to speak to um, what you said about Bonham Carter, I think it's interesting. This is a much more muted role for her than the kind mm -hmm. of role I feel like she often plays, or at least... I'm, I, you know, she's been around for a long time. She's had many roles. The role she's most famous for playing, I'm thinking of like Bellatrix Lestrange and things like that, um, or just yeah. like Tim Burton collaborations where she's playing like a really kind of caricaturesque villain. And so it's like sort of interesting to see her sort of fade into the background a little bit in The Crown, which I do think actually speaks a lot to her her skill um, as an actress that she can be a regular person after you've sort of seen the the heights and depths of which she's capable when she's, you know, playing someone with more of an extreme personality. I'm interested in your your what you're saying about the the Gillian Anderson thing and how it graded on you of can you think of a performance like just from anything that sort of embodies like what you're talking about, like where an actor like really fades into the person they're playing when it, in a case where that actor is also really famous? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's tough because I feel like a lot of my go-to answers would be people that are playing characters that are lesser well-known than someone like Margaret Thatcher. So I also didn't grow up when Margaret Thatcher was prime minister, but I feel like you kind of have a vibe of what she's going for. And she's also very much a person that has these very specific tics that the person who's impersonating them has to match. Mm -hmm. And so I get that it, it is a bit tough, but one recent example that I can think of is basically everybody in One Night in Miami or, you know, even Denzel Washington as Malcolm X in Malcolm X. I think those are examples of characters that do not feel like they're just trying to impersonate the person. They're trying to give us more about what's underneath mm -hmm. them as a character. And there doesn't really seem to be that in the Gillian Anderson performance. She's really just doing a voice so much to the point that Tina Fey just made fun of it in the Golden Globe ceremony mm -hmm. at some point last night. Um, but it's a good point. Yeah, I, I think that that's a good example. And I, I mean, I think being unfavorably compared to Denzel Washington is like probably something that anyone would take in stride <laughs> because he's like one of the best actors of our time. So that's fair.
Yeah, but I mean, it's it's a good point, and it's still miles above many of the other performances. Um, again, can't really speak to Gardner, Murphy, or Nixon, but um, we'll go ahead and just move on. So let's just hit the limited series and TV movie specific categories next. So first, we've got Best Actor in a Limited Series or Motion Picture Made for Television. The nominees were Brian Cranston for Your Honor, Jeff Daniels for The Comey Rule, Hugh Grant for The Undoing, Mark Ruffalo for I Know This Much Is True, and Ethan Hawke for The Good Lord Bird. So ultimately, Mark Ruffalo did win this award. Um, I think other than The Undoing, which we did watch it in its entirety, we have seen three episodes total of the remaining three shows. Is that correct? I think so. Okay. So... <laughs> Dana, you predicted Mark Ruffalo. I predicted Ethan Hawke, but um, Mark Ruffalo ended up winning. Do you want to talk about that? Sure. Yeah. I, you know, would love to say that my prediction for this was based on anything other than he won the Emmy and I like <laughs> Googled, you know, about it. And, you know, it seemed like he was the favorite. Um, this is a show that we did not watch. Any I'm convinced of. no one has watched yeah. this show. They're just voting yeah, for Mark I Ruffalo. I feel like whenever we do these awards... Um, episodes, the first category is always limited series, and it always ends up with us saying a bunch of times we never watched this, because I feel like there are a lot of limited series that, you know, the general public just doesn't get around to, and we're very, I feel like, hype-driven to what we watch, so, you know, and it's not like there was a lot of discourse happening about I know this much is true, so we were never like, I have to check that out. It also seemed really sad um, yeah, in a way that I didn't really want to engage with. Um, I know he does play twins in that, which I'm sure, you know, is is a feat. So good for him. I I said for who I wanted to win, um, I saw that we both picked Hugh Grant for The Undoing. Um, I think his performance is good. I'm not that indignant that he didn't win. Um, I think he's fine. But, um, I th- you know, he's he's good in The Undoing. He plays, you know, uh, you know, he he very much carries his Hugh Grant energy of lovable seeming british man who is sort of thrust into this situation where people are wondering whether or not he's guilty and you as an audience member are sort of left you know speculating along with judge and jury in this show because you're like he oh there's all this reasons to believe that you know he might have done something bad but then you're like oh but he's so charming and that's the the Hugh Grant effect so um, it's kind of a little bit of a silly show. It's a little bit melodramatic, but um, we had fun watching it and it's not too long. So if you need something to binge, not bad. Yeah, it's um, not necessarily awards worthy. As Dana said, I also voted for this simply because I didn't watch enough of The Good Lord Bird to want Ethan Hawke to win. And I thought Your Honor kind of sucked. So um, the, <laughs> the undoing won by default for, <laughs> for us over here at Movie Marathoners. Let's not belabor this category too much since there's nothing too exciting to talk about. Moving on to the performance by an actress in a limited series or motion picture made for television. This is a much more exciting category for us, I think. Kate Blanchett for Miss America, Daisy Edgar-Jones for Normal People, Shira Haas for Unorthodox, Nicole Kidman for the aforementioned Undoing, and Anya Taylor-Joy for The Queen's Gambit. No surprise here, Anya Taylor-Joy won... She was our predicted winner, and she was also the winner that we wanted. You want to talk about it, Dana? Sure, yeah. So this um, limited series category, I can actually say that I have seen all of these shows. I didn't finish Normal People, but um, I did see most of it, and I read the book. And I didn't even start it. <laughs> um, but but we've both seen um, all the other series. 
I wasn't surprised to see Anya Taylor Joy win, but it was it was still exciting to watch her win because I think she's just like a really great young talent, and I think that she's um, picking some some interesting projects, and I'm excited to keep watching her um, both in in series like this and in movies. Yeah, I love Anya Taylor Joy. Really excited she got this nomination. Um, you know, she got one out of the two that she was nominated for, and this was, of course, kind of the the give me. Um, so yeah, not not too much to say about this one, other than of course all the performances were fine or or great, but I think Anya Taylor Joy makes a lot of sense, and we can move on. That gets us to the best television limited series or motion picture made for television. We've got Normal People, The Queen's Gambit, Small Axe, The Undoing, and Unorthodox. And just like the last category, we predicted and wanted the winner of this category, which is The Queen's Gambit. Anything else you want to say about that, Dana? Not really. Again, no surprise, but definitely good to see. I think, um, you know, it was a a really good series. I know a lot of people watched it. It was one of those things on Netflix that came out and everyone was really excited about it at the same time, which is always fun. So I think this is um, well-deserved. Yeah, completely agree. Um, Kind of one of the rare cultural monolith moments that we have. I mean, obviously there's WandaVision, but before that, there was chess. So congratulations to the Queen's Gambit. So next up are the awards for musical or comedy series. First, best performance by an actor in a television series, musical or comedy. Don Cheadle for Black Monday was nominated. He seems to always be here and literally never wins, but maybe someday. Nicholas Holt for The Great. Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek. Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, and Rami Youssef for Rami. The winner of this category was Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, a show that I absolutely adore. But Dana and I, we both predicted Eugene Levy, and it looks like you had a different want for the winner because I wanted Jason Sudeikis, so I'm really glad that he won. But who did you want, Dana? Um, yeah, I was I was definitely fine with Jason Sudeikis winning, and I also really liked Ted Lasso, and I just Jason Sudeikis is fun to watch. Um, but I did pick, um, for who I wanted to win, I did pick Nicholas Holt in The Great. He's so funny in The Great. He's, I think, my favorite part of the show. And he plays, you know, a tyrannical emperor who's a horrible person, <laughs> but he's so fun to watch. And I didn't expect this to be awarded, but um, I do hope that at some point he gets recognition for it, depending on how long this show keeps going. This seems like one of those shows that is destined to be awarded in its like fourth or fifth season. Yeah. We'll see if it gets four or five seasons, but I feel like so many people are sleeping on this show. And once it gets to like season two or three, people are going to be like, oh, this is actually really good. Why is no one talking about this? And we'll be like, we were. We were talking about (laughs) the great. It is unironically the greatest. And it is on Hulu to stream. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, what's also the greatest is Ted Lasso, really another kind of cultural monolith moment. Good for Jason Sudeikis and his tie-dye hoodie, clearly baked out of his mind at 2 a.m. London time. So always good to see people schlubbing it at the fancy award ceremonies. As somebody who schlubs it every day at work and, you know, goes into work dressed in shorts and if I had flip-flops, flip-flops. This is, of course, pre-pandemic. Now I, I just sit in my room with whatever I put on that day. But I was always schlubbing it for work, so I'm really glad to see uh, Jason Sudeikis schlubbing it here. Moving on to Best Performance by an Actress in a Television Series, Musical, or Comedy. The nominees are Lily Collins from Emily in Paris, Kaylee Cuoco from The Flight Attendant, 
Elle Fanning from The Great, Jane Levy from Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, and Catherine O'Hara from Schitt's Creek. Catherine O'Hara was the winner. This is who we predicted. Um, I think we kind of predicted all the Schitt's Creek people, but she was the only one that won. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize that she was the only one that won. I don't think I picked Annie Murphy. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, other than yeah. Annie Murphy. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love for you to unpack who you have written that you wanted to win. <laughs> yeah. So I have Lily Collins for Emily in Paris as my wanted to win. I don't care about this category too much. Um, you know, I think Al Fanning is great in The Great and Kaylee Cuoco is solid in a solid show. I don't know if it's an awards worthy show, but it is a fun show. The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. Um, I think if Lily Collins had won for Emily in Paris, people would have lost their damn minds. And there is a chaotic neutral part of me or more, maybe even chaotic good or chaotic evil. I don't know which chaos it is, but part of me just kind of wants to watch chaos, um, especially in something as harmless as best performance by an actress in a TV show for musical or comedy. Notice how all of these women are white women. So it might as well be Lily Collins. Um, I thought that would have been hilarious. Interesting um, perspective. <laughs> I um, Very nuanced take, I know. Yeah, I, and for my want to win, I had Elle Fanning, also for The Great. I didn't, I didn't care too much about this category either. And again, I do really like The Great. I wasn't expecting for Elle to get recognition, but I do think she does a great job at um, helming the sort of main character um, role of that show. And she's she's not like the the funniest or most interesting character necessarily, but she's like a sort of really good compass to be following mm -hmm. um, through through what's going on in the show. And she's, you know, she's uh, a young woman and she's really holding her own, um, you know, those fannings. She somehow broke into the industry against all odds. <laughs> um, so good for her. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, congratulations to Catherine O'Hara. We didn't talk about her at all, but of course... We don't have too much experience in the shit creek. So um, we'll go ahead and just move on to the best television series, musical, or comedy. So the nominations are Emily in Paris, The Flight Attendant, The Great, Schitt's Creek, and Ted Lasso. So Schitt's Creek did win. That was our predicted winner. But honestly, after the Jason Sudeikis win, and more so the loss by Eugene Levy and also Dan Levy, I was kind of thinking that Ted Lasso would win. And that was who I wanted to win. You as well, right, Dana? Yeah, and I, I also thought that that seemed on the table a little bit before the night even began. But then, yeah, especially as those those actor wins were unfolding. Um, and I, I'm sure that it will um, at some point in what will likely be, you know, a multi-season lifespan. I'm sure that it will win at some point. So I think that missing it its first go-around is not too much of a loss. Yeah, yeah, well put. Good for Schitt's Creek. Ted Lasso, Hive, Rise Up. With that, let's go ahead and move on to all of the drama series categories, again, starting with Best Actor or Best Performance by an Actor in a Television Series Drama. We've got Jason Bateman from Ozark, Josh O'Connor from The Crown, Bob Odenkirk from Better Call Saul, Al Pacino for Hunters, and Matthew Reese for Perry Mason, a show that we watched. Somebody watched. I saw on Twitter people asking, like, who watches Perry Mason? We did. It started and my slow. Mother. Yeah. So three people right there. None of us are in the HFPA. Actually, I don't know if your mom is, but... She's not disclosed that to me, but we can't rule it out entirely. She hasn't said objectively that she's not in the HFPA. Yes. So she could be one of those shadowy recruits. Anyways, 
Um, Josh O'Connor, sorry to step on his win. Josh O'Connor did win for the crown, thus beginning the crown sweep of the drama series. Um, This was our predicted winner, but we, of course, had a different want. Yeah, we both wanted um, Bob Odenkirk of Better Call Saul to win. Again, I was not expecting him to win because I know that... um, Everyone has trash taste. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't understand it. I can't begin to understand the psychology of someone who sees Better Call Saul and does not recognize its greatness. Like, it's it's truly, like, baffling to me. Like, I mean that so sincerely that <laughs> I, I don't get it. And I, I can't believe this is the only acting. I mean, I can believe it, but it's it's such a crime that this is the only acting nomination that Better Call Saul got. And, you know, I wish I could have had any hope that he would win. But sadly, I did not. And that is a damn shame. Yeah. I mean, um, to be fair, The Crown is kind of an incredible show. And it is so clearly awards baity in kind of all the ways that you want a thing to be award baity. Josh O'Connor gives a really fantastic performance as Prince Philip. This might be a spoiler, but it's history. Yeah, whatever. Prince Charles. (laughs) Prince Charles is kind of a piece of shit. And I think the way that Josh O'Connor kind of goes from being in season three of this tragic character to being this absolute pretentious menace to Princess Diana is a wonderful turn of character and just a really good display of acting. So I it's not that this is a bad win, but yeah, Bob Odenkirk needs to be recognized for this. And it's kind of an insult that Better Call Saul was not nominated for best picture or I mean whatever this is best drama series you know if next year comes around or I guess 2022 Emmys and stuff because that's when the last season is coming out but if at the end of its run it hasn't been nominated and won for anything that'll be a real damn shame yeah it's it's at least as good as Breaking Bad um many people think it's better and if you've if you watch Breaking Bad you absolutely should watch Better Call Saul and honestly even if you didn't watch Breaking Bad, you don't really need to mm-hmm. to watch Better Call Saul. And I can honestly see a lot of people who might not enjoy Breaking Bad, which is a little bit more um, gritty at t- in its sort of violence and drug use that's a little bit more graphic. Um, Better Call Saul is, you know, not that there's not violence, but I would say it's a little bit more, um, it's a little bit neater, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it's more about process mm-hmm. than than Breaking Bad because I feel like a lot of the thrill of Better Call Saul is how they do the thing. Well, I guess that's also true about Breaking Bad. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Both of those shows are wonderful, but I would definitely agree. Better Call Saul, well worth anybody's time who hasn't given it uh, a chance. But with that, that'll probably be the last time that we mention Better Call Saul. So do you want to get anything else out of your system, Dana? No, just that Ray Seahorn better be nominated next year or I'm going to come a knocking yeah, yeah. HFPA doors. Okay. Well, moving on, we've got best performance by an actress in a television series drama. We've got Olivia Coleman for The Crown, Jodie Comer for Killing Eve, Emma Corrin or Corin for The Crown, Laura Linney for Ozark, and Sarah Paulson for Ratched. So the winner was Emma Corrin for The Crown, but we predicted Olivia Coleman, and it looks like we also both wanted Olivia Coleman for the crown. So Dana, why did you pick Olivia Coleman both as your personal 
winner and as the predicted winner over Emma Corrin. Yeah, I mean, I love Olivia Coleman and I know that um, the awards people do too. And, you know, she seemed like a safe bet. And because I was just so sure she was going to win and I was so happy with that because I do really like her, it just seemed like a natural pick. I'm totally fine with um, Emma Curran winning. And it was actually really cute to see how fine Olivia Coleman was with that <laughs> as well. She just looked like so happy for her, which is nice because, you know, uh, you know, Olivia obviously has won her fair share of awards and I'm sure in her life will continue to win a lot of awards. And so it was really nice to see her just like be happy for her younger co-star. So I'm totally fine with this. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was thinking about whether to pick Olivia Coleman or Emma Corrin, I was thinking about what is happening in the next season of The Crown and how much meat that is going to be for the Princess Diana actress. Like that's going to be the season that you really want to reward the Princess Diana performance. But then I realized three minutes ago when I was reading these nominees that the person that will be doing that performance is not Emma Corrin. So in my mind, when I was filling this out, I was like, oh, they'll give it to Emma Corrin next year. Right. But obviously that's going to be Elizabeth Debicki and not this character. So while I think um, it's a pretty solid performance, I just didn't think she had quite as much to do. And she certainly didn't even really feel like the main lead of that show for this season in this way that I feel like she will be in the next season. But, um, you know, I mean, good for her, I guess. And as we've said, Olivia Coleman wins all the time for everything. So. I'm I'm sure her Golden Globes aren't lonely. They've got plenty of other kind of trophies to hang out with. Yeah. All right. So that leads us to the best television series for drama. And the nominations are The Crown, Lovecraft Country, The Mandalorian, Ozark, and Ratched. And I'm going to make myself a liar. And I'm going to say it's pretty surprising that these are the nominees that were nominated over Better Call Saul. <laughs> so yeah, that's right. I brought it up again. Um, it's, no. it's just stupid. Like it, it just actually, like when I saw this list, like, I'm sorry, like what is Ratchet? Like, I, I can't believe that Ratchet was nominated over Better Call Saul. <laughs> and I mean, I, we watched a few episodes of Lovecraft Country and we did really like it in the beginning and we were really excited to keep watching. And it, it just really kind of fell off for us. I know a lot of people really like it. Um, and you know, that's, that's okay. It wasn't something that we really got into. But yeah, just when I looked at this list, I was just, what are, what are they doing? Yeah. And I mean, as much as I love The Mandalorian, um, completely different ballgame. Like, I, I get it wanting to nominate The Mandalorian. It's the people's choice, blah, blah, blah. But come on, better call Saul or just really, yeah, I don't know, you know, whatever. Okay. We have officially moved on. The winner of this was The Crown. It's who we predicted. It's who we wanted. It's a, an amazing fucking show. We can move on, right? Yes. Okay, good job, Crown. With that, let's go ahead and take a break here. And when we return, we'll move on to the film awards of the Golden Globe ceremony. Hey, hey there. there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. 
Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. See you soon. All right, we are back with our recap of the 2021 Golden Globes, and we're discussing now the Film Awards, starting first with Best Original Score. So the nominations for Best Original Score are Alexander Desplat for The Midnight Sky, Ludwig Göransson for Tenet, James Newton Howard for News of the World, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Mank, and Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, as well as John Baptiste for Soul. So the winner of this category was Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross, and John Baptiste for Soul. This was both our prediction and our desired winner. Dana, do you want to talk about why you picked Soul over the other four original scores that we've definitely listened to more than the one time that we watched each of these movies? Yeah, honestly, some of these, when I I was like trying to think back to the scores in the movies, which is, it, it is something that I will notice when I'm watching a movie, but I won't necessarily remember a score unless it really like stuck out to me at the time. So I was kind of like, what did I think about the music and <laughs> X and Y movie? But I think it makes sense that Soul One, um, especially because it it is a movie that focuses itself on music and it has the the classic like Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross like sound kind of um score but then also the john batiste jazz Mm -hmm. so you know there's there's a lot of um different things going on here i won't pretend to be an expert in this arena but it made sense to me that this would win yep i completely agree and it's also kind of the popular choice except for maybe tenet but that wasn't gonna win even though that score is pretty good and um i will say that i did explicitly think about how good the score was during the midnight sky because it's phenomenal, but um, that's also kind of just a byproduct of that movie not being that good. And so I was like, wow, the (laughs) the score was much better than the movie it was in. Um, But yeah, I mean, good for soul. Nothing really to belabor here. The next category then is best original song for a motion picture. We've got Fight For You, Judas and the Black Messiah, Hear My Voice, The Trial of the Chicago 7, EOC for The Life Ahead, Speak Now for One Night in Miami, and Tigers and Tweed from the United States versus Billie Holiday. And the winner was EOC for The Life Ahead. Dana, you and I both predicted Speak Now from One Night in Miami, and it doesn't look like you have a wanted winner here. And I believe it's for the same reason that I don't have a wanted winner here. It's because this category is bullshit because nothing from Eurovision, a song of fire saga or whatever the name of that. The story of fire saga. Thank you. There are no songs nominated from that movie, so this category is a travesty and will be ignored. I completely agree. And I also um, had never heard the song that did win, EOC. Have you you heard any of these songs? I mean, whenever they were in the movie, I guess they happened happened to me. You heard Um, three of these songs. um, Yeah, and so so you so you and I, when we watch the award shows, we the way we do sort of like our competitive picking is we rank them all on like our likelihood to win, and then if you rank something one and it wins, you get one point, et cetera, et cetera, and you want to have the lowest score. And I put this song that won at five because I was like, well, what's that? No one's heard of that. That's not going to win. And then it did. So I looked the fool. Yeah, I mean, it is a Netflix film. That's literally all I know about it. I believe it's French. Yeah, it's French. Um, So maybe that's why. But, you know, at the same time, The Trial of the Chicago 7 is right there. And that was my number two pick. 
So I, I, I don't know. I, nothing we can say about this category matters at all. So let's go ahead and just move on. And we will be moving on from that travesty of a category to another travesty of a category, which is best motion picture foreign language. Um, the criticism of this category has been beaten to death and belabored by so many people. So I won't go into it too much. The nominations are Another Round from Denmark, La Llorana from Guatemala and France, The Life Ahead from Italy. Oh, so I guess The Life Ahead is not French. It's Italian. Oh, I, why did I also think it was French? Because last night I was like, I think it's French. Oh. My bad. Anyways, um, Minari from USA is the other nomination. And lastly, Two of Us from France and the USA is the final nomination. So the winner of this category was Minari from the USA. It says it right there. I guess this technically is a foreign language film because not even all of it, maybe 70% of it is in Korean. But, you know, it's kind of weird to see that it's in the foreign language category when it's from the USA. This is a US production, but whatever. Plenty of people have talked about this so much. There's nothing more I can say about this other than this is who I predicted would win and this is who I wanted to win because it's a wonderful movie. Yeah, and I, I also had it for both. Um, it's a great movie and I definitely agree with you know with all the, the criticisms of the structuring of this category that this was not eligible for Best Picture. It is very much an American film. It is very specifically an American film. It yeah. is about being a first and second generation immigrant to the United States and I think that, you know, it's it's certainly something that exists within the American canon. And I think that the foreign language category is sort of a misnomer to that they use to sort of sort of make a sub like a minor league, I feel like, mm -hmm. for um to keep other movies out of the best picture category. Yeah, and well, I well it's kind of like having a comedy or musical category, isn't yeah. it? <laughs> Yeah, that's true. And it just, you know, it, it, it just doesn't seem right. But as you said, um, this is something that's been talked about a lot um, and it's not much of a hot take. But yeah, this should be in the best picture um, running, but it is not. So it makes sense that it did win the category where it was. Yeah. And I mean, speaking on that point, I think when we go into the rest of the nominations, it'll be important to think about how Minari is going to play in other categories, specifically the Oscars and whether any of the performances from Minari will sneak into the Oscar Best Actor or Supporting Actress categories. Um, I'm not totally sure. Uh, same with director Lee Isaac Chung had a wonderful recognition speech here, so he may be in the contention going into the Oscars nominations and everything like that. Who knows? Same with writing, same with Best Picture, everything like that. So I would really like to see more Minari in a lot of these other categories. But moving on to the other kind of offensively separate best motion picture, we've got best motion picture animated. So we have The Crude's A New Age, which I can't believe that was nominated for a Golden Globe, but whatever. Onward, Over the Moon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Again, probably not much to talk about here. Soul is our predicted winner and our wanted winner, and it is the actual winner. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever Pixar has something in the ring, well, I guess they had two in the ring. Um, yeah, but Soul was clearly yeah. the critical darling. Mm -hmm. um, which makes sense. I mean, I think Onward is a cute movie, but I think Soul is definitely the more ambitious project. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's it's definitely a movie that I feel like people 
you know, had had thoughts of, you know, could this be nominated even for Best Picture? If, is there any chance of that happening? Um, did not come to fruition here. But, you know, it's always interesting to to think about, like you said, how um, the animated films are also sort of put in this minor league category of their own and to think about, you know, what would it take for uh, a Best Picture nomination for an animated film? We've seen it happen before, but it's definitely very rare. And there's definitely some, you know, attitudes about, you know, the caliber of animated films compared to live action films. I don't think it's happened since 2010 when Toy Story 3 was nominated. But I mean, since then, you know, I could see arguments for Inside Out, Spider-Verse, some other third movie. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> um, the the other thing to point out here is that Soul could get a screenwriting nod um, because the Academy does separately adapted and original. So it could sneak in there for original. I don't know the the likelihood of that or anything like that, but keep an eye out for that. And then finally, um, Wolfwalkers, really good. I think there was definitely a take coming of people predicting that Wolfwalkers would beat Soul. Ultimately, we didn't predict that, and ultimately it didn't happen. But there was certainly that narrative there that um, the Golden Globes kind of likes to pick the not Pixar category or the not Pixar film sometimes. And Wolfwalkers would have been well-deserved. It's a wonderful film. Yeah, I definitely thought that that might happen, but I'm not too surprised that it didn't. Yeah. So um, let's go ahead and move on to Golden Globe's best screenplay. Then, as I said, uh, this is not separated between adapted and original. So we've just got five nominations. We have Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman, Jack Fincher for Mank, Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago Seven, Florian Zeller and Christopher Hampton for The Father, and Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. And the winner of this category was David Fincher taking a shot because he <laughs> lost. That was hilarious. Um, so obviously, David Fincher was the stand-in for his father, Jack Fincher, who passed away um, and is the director of Mank. So he was there. And for each of the awards that Mank lost, which was every single award that Mank was nominated for, he took a shot on camera, which was pretty funny. But the actual winner of this category was Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago 7. This is who I predicted. Um, and this was also who I wanted to win simply because I think that if you're going to nominate the trial of the Chicago seven for something, the writing is the safe bet. Um, seems like you are in disagreement with that. You have, you had a different predicted winner and a different wanted winner. Yeah. So definitely would have been a more underdog win. And I knew that going in, but I did think it was on the table, which was Emerald Fennell winning for promising young woman. I think it is a it is a really original screenplay. It's a really original story. And I think that sort of like you said, I think that if it was going to win somewhere, I was hopeful that this might be somewhere that I would win because I didn't really have much of a thought of it winning for Best Picture or anything like that. And I think that, um, you know, I think that, you know, Aaron Sorkin is obviously good at what he does. He's Aaron Sorkining. Um, and I think it would have <laughs> been nice um, for for someone else have gotten the award and I don't mean that even to to sort of handicap Emerald Fennell's skill and say that you know they should have you know given it to her just because Aaron Sorkin's had his time I really do think that um this is this is a great movie and it has great writing and I think that it has really realized characters who you know have an interesting way of of speaking to each other and you know she really develops them really well and I think that this is something that is is definitely aspirational for a lot of screenwriters, and I think it was her first movie, right? I have no idea. Yeah. 
Um, I Sorry. Don't, okay. Well, um, yeah, I think it's something that is aspirational for a lot of um, screenwriters to to make a movie that feels this um, real and at the same time so kind of whimsical. And there's, I don't know, there's there's so much energy in this movie. And I think that um, it's definitely a feat. And I really liked it. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's pretty unfortunate that the film is completely shut out at the Golden Globes. Um, I agree that I think that if it was going to win somewhere, it probably would have been here or for Carrie Mulligan in Best Actress. But that was a surprise. Um, so, you know, I think if you're a huge fan of Promising Young Woman and you want it to be recognized at the Oscars, you should be really, really concerned. Um, and that's not to knock the film. I think in some ways, if Promising Young Woman goes completely unrecognized at, at all the major award ceremonies, it's going to skyrocket it into some legendary cult status, right? You know? There's plenty of films that are never acknowledged by anything, and people continuously think of those films as the best films of the last decade or whatever decade they were in. No one is talking about Green Book other than how shitty Green Book is. So, you know, you've always got that to look forward to. But yeah, I I think in terms of like anticipating what's going to happen at the Oscars, it doesn't seem like Promising Young Woman might even get the nominations that people were kind of hoping for, much less the wins. But we'll see. Who knows? Yeah, no, I definitely I don't have a lot of hopes for its um, best picture nomination chances. But I, I do think that um, I, I do expect that Carrie will still be nominated. Yeah, yeah. And I, I do think that screenplay will still be nominated um, just because, as you mentioned, there are, there are more um, nomination avenues for for the Oscars for screenplay. So I think that it still has a chance. I don't think it'll win, but I, I, I don't I wouldn't count out its nomination. Yeah, no, I know. I, I agree. I think there will be some nominations for sure. But um, and, and it could even be nominated for Best Picture because, you know, you get like eight or nine of those usually. So yeah, that's true. It's it's possible. But, you know, I I knew people that were saying, just you wait, this is going to win Best Picture and Emerald Fennell is going to get Best Director. I, I don't think Fennell is probably she's probably not getting nominated for Best Director. So um We'll see. Who knows? Maybe I'll eat crow and I'll gladly eat crow because it's a fantastic movie. But let's go ahead and move on to the acting awards. And then what we'll do is we'll finish out with best director and the best picture awards. So first, best supporting actor. So as with the television awards, the best supporting actor is across all of the categories. So both um, comedy, musical and drama. So the nominations are Sasha Baron Cohen for The Trial of the Chicago Seven. Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah, Jared Leto for The Little Things, Bill Murray for On the Rocks, and Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. This is a pretty clear-cut category for us. Daniel Kaluuya won, he was our predicted winner, and he was our wanted winner. We could be a broken record and say that this is a phenomenal performance. It is. I don't know if you have anything else to add, Dana. Yeah, not much. Yeah, obviously his his role as Fred Hampton is really great, and I think that um, the only real contender in this against him was Sasha Baron Cohen for Trial of Chicago 7. And I think the amount of the movie that Daniel Kulia is in Judas and the Black Messiah versus the amount of the movie that Sasha Baron Cohen is in The Trial of Ch- the Chicago 7 is just like not really comparable okay, to well, me. Okay, well, to be fair, that's because Daniel Kulia in Best Supporting Actor is category fraud. Yeah, oh, no, 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 no. I, I don't disagree <laughs> with that. But like, I, I just think... 
And and I mean, as far as time, but also just as far as like heart of the movie, like I think that you could be in a movie for for, you know, for not as much time as someone else and still carry more weight in it than you do. But I, I think that Sasha Baron Cohen, I think it's a good performance. But I when I think of the Trail of Chicago 7, I think I don't I'm not like, oh, Sasha Baron Cohen, like in particular, like it's very much an ensemble. Yeah performance yeah i agree with that sasha baron cohen isn't like the standout of that movie for me and it's a movie that i really like but yeah definitely daniel kaluuya the much more well-deserving winner i'm glad that they got this right this was the first um award given for the evening and then immediately followed by john boyega was nice to see so um yeah also daniel kaluuya was like muted at first when he tried to talk which was really not setting a promising tone for the night. No, and uh, it didn't get much better throughout the night. There was a lot of just pops and cracks in the audio, and the the feed was kind of laggy and, yeah. and not great. It it was um it wasn't the best run award ceremony from a technical perspective. But uh, I'm glad that Daniel Kaluuya did get to use his beautiful British accent and give a really great um thank you speech. And uh you know just job well done. I hope I hope Judas and the Black Messiah gets nominated more throughout the award season and specifically at the Oscars. It was kind of undeservingly shut out of best motion picture drama at the Golden Globes. So hopefully the Oscars writes that wrong. With that, we can go ahead and move on to best performance by an actress in a supporting role in a motion picture. So we've got Glenn Close from Hillbilly Elegy, Olivia Coleman from The Father, Jodie Foster for The Mauritanian, Amanda Seyfried for Mank, and Helena Zengel from News of the World. So this was kind of the first major upset of the night, I would say, because Jodie Foster for the Mauritanian won, and I feel like everybody was debating between Glenn Close, Olivia Coleman, and Amanda Seyfried. So Jodie Foster came out of nowhere. She thanked Aaron Rodgers in her speech. Good for her. More importantly, good for Shalane Woodley and... Uh, Shalane? Shalene. <laughs> Shalane Flanagan, Shailene <laughs> Woodley, and Aaron Rodgers. I hope they're happy together. Um, what did you think about this? Because we both, it looks like, okay, so it looks like I predicted Glenn Close, probably for chaos. You predicted Amanda Seyfried, and we both wanted Amanda Seyfried. So make sense of this category, Dana. Yeah, I was shocked um, when this happened. And I, I, I like Jodie Foster, and I think she was good in the Mauritanian. Um, I did not expect her to win. I think, you know, she she hands in a very competent performance. Yeah. But I wouldn't really say much beyond that. Like, it's it's just not the kind of role that feels very um, dazzling. Yeah, it's not flashy. Like, the flashy role in that movie is Tahara Rahim. And, I mean, thankfully, he was nominated too. But it's so bizarre that she was also nominated and she was the one that won over the really flashy performances from Glenn Close and Amanda Seyfried. Yeah. And I, you know, I wasn't that, I, you know, I'm glad that I wasn't emotionally invested in this category too much because, I mean, Glenn Close, does she deserve recognition for her career? Of course. Does she deserve recognition for (laughs) Hillbilly Elegy? Not necessarily, but, you know, fine. And Amanda Seyfried, I know um, the conventional wisdom is that she was great in Mank. Um, I famously, uh, Mank isn't my favorite movie. Um, and, okay, that's an understatement. <laughs> um, well, so to give some background about my relationship to Mank is that... You hate it. N- okay, so basically we watched Mank 
um, not long before I made my account on the website Letterboxd, which for those of you who don't know, is a website where any, you know, old Joe on the street can make an account and rate. Or Joette. And Joe is a gender neutral name. Joe March, Saoirse Ronan, Little Women. Um, anyone Bob can just kind of. Bob Little Women. Hmm? Bob Odenkirk's Bob Little, Odenkirk's Little Women. Yeah. Um, you can just make an account and you can rate and review movies. And so I was just going through on like the first day I made my account and I was like, okay, I'll just like rate a bunch of movies that I've seen. And one of the first movies that like popped up for me was Mank. And I just got this incredible power trip because I gave Mank <laughs> two and a half stars. And I was like, what an amazing feat of, you know, the social media as a great equalizer that I, just little old me, can sit here and give David Fincher's Mank like little black and white magnum opus wannabe two and a half stars and just like, no explanation um so yeah so i i don't love the movie um it's you know it's it's fine i'm sure there's reasons to like it it's just not for me long story short wasn't that upset that amanda seyfried didn't win but i was just shocked that jodie foster won i think you summed that up pretty well um i like to make more than you i, I didn't think it was the next great coming or second coming or whatever that saying is i'm bad at sayings but i thought amanda seyfried was really fantastic in that role and i think in terms of going back to the uh julian anderson conversation that we just had that is a role where she feels like she's embodying the person instead of just imitating the -hmm. person which i think is even harder to do in a film that is obnoxiously to an extent an imitation of another film and another time period i feel like making a film black and white and homaging the 1940s in 2020 is so ripe for just somebody impersonating what it's like to be that person but she felt like an actual character she also felt like a character in that time period and so i really thought that that was a fantastic performance and i kind of wish that it was recognized um and it seems like she's on her way out unfortunately she wasn't even nominated for critics choice i believe or maybe it was the other one that she wasn't nominated for, SAG. I don't know. But um, I, I don't see Jodie Foster making a surge here. Um, first of all, she's kind of a, a lead actress in the film. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess she's supporting to Tahar Rahim, but not really. It's kind of from her lens, more so than his. So it's a really odd choice to put here. And again, this is a film that the only reason we saw it was because we applied for like a virtual screener or whatever from STX Films, so it's not even out yet. This is a really freaking weird category. Yeah, I, I honestly have no idea what to expect come the rest of award season for this category, even the Oscars. I, I really have no idea what will happen. Yeah, and um, I, I think we can talk a little bit more about this in relation to Best Actress in a Musical Comedy coming up here shortly. But first, we'll go to Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. And so the nominations were Sasha Baron Cohen, James Corden, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Dev Patel, and Andy Samberg. So we predicted Sasha Baron Cohen for Borat's subsequent movie film, and uh, we were correct. He did win. This was also the winner that you wanted, Dana. You want to talk about that? What's so great about this performance? Why was it so much better than James Corden in The Prom? <laughs> Um, well, don't, I, are we even going to get boy, into the prom? And your boy, Dev Patel. I know. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I love 
the personal history of David Copperfield, and I think Dev Patel is great in that. Would have been thrilled with him winning. Um, I think Sasha Baron Cohen is just it's it's such a unique project that he takes on. And like he almost got like shot filming this movie. And he has such commitment to what he does. And so maybe I'm a little bit conflating just his creation of this whole sort of like Borat universe with his acting performance. And maybe I'm rewarding that and not Mm. just it as acting. But I think what he does as his Borat character is so insane and is just so unlike what anyone else is doing. And I think that it is something that um is is a really unique talent that deserves to be rewarded because I think that a lot of people, you know, might be a little bit dismissive as Bora as kind of like, you know, like crass humor. And like at times it is, but I do think he's a very intelligent person. He's he's so deeply committed to his um art. If you know, you might not want to call it that, but in a way it is. And I mm-hmm. think that um it's hard to not recognize. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a really well-made film. Like the way that he structures the jokes, the way that he builds up from one bit to another and how it all kind of flows into an actual story is is pretty impressive. So, it it's not an undeserved win. My preferred winner would have been Andy Samberg for Palm Springs because it's just a really fun movie and I think his performance in that is great, but you know, as long as James Corden or Lin-Manuel Miranda didn't win, then I was fine with whoever won in this category. Specifically, not that I dislike Lin-Manuel Miranda and Hamilton, but Hamilton is not a motion picture. So um, we can talk about that again later, I'm sure. Yeah. Moving on then to best performance by an actress in a motion picture, musical, or comedy. We've got Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film, Kate Hudson for music. That'll be one of two times that we mention that word and never again. (laughs) Michelle Pfeiffer for French Exit. Rosamund Pike for I Care A Lot, and Anya Taylor-Joy for Emma, period. So, Rosamund Pike won this award. Kind of an upset. Some might say an unpredictable upset. Like, the most unexpected, unpredictable upset that you could ever conceive. And yet, somehow, I predicted it. I don't know if that means that I'm a god, but I don't know if it doesn't mean that. So you, peasant over there sitting across the room, did not predict No, I did not. This. I don't know what you were thinking. I genuinely have no idea why you chose the clearly heavy favorite, Maria Bakalova. But why did you? And why did you want her to win? Um, so, so sort of similar to my comments above, you know, she really has to go deep into this character in this movie. She went to bat for our entertainment in Rudy Giuliani's hotel room, and we owe her something, I believe. <laughs> and that something <laughs> is a gold globe. Yeah. No, but um, stick. I, I think that, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen talks about working with her, and he talks about in order to make this movie, he really, he needed someone, um, you know, relatively unknown to be his co-star because there are you know, much as he does kind of worm his way into a lot of the scenarios that he gets into in Borat's subsequent movie film, he is aware that at this point, it's hard because so many people recognize the Borat character. And so he, um, you know, he really wanted to work with someone who wouldn't be as recognizable. And so um, for many of us, this is the first time we've seen 
Maria Bakalova in anything, and she really holds her own up there with Sasha Baron Cohen and is is so um, willing to just throw herself into these crazy situations. And um, she's hilarious while doing it. And I think that we don't, I don't think we reward comedy enough for just what it gives to us, just things that make us laugh. I think that, you know, there's an idea that it's not as, you know, worthy of, of, you know, being rewarded in the same way that things that make us, you know, have other reactions. And I think that it's just, she's just really funny in a way that um, not a lot of people can be. And I think that um, she deserved the award. I can't believe you didn't see Maria Bakalova in Tipichno. Alas, I'm a fake fan. It's a web series about typical modern life situations. I love typical modern life situations. I've been in several. (laughs) It's from Bulgaria. So clearly you just don't have the same foreign language palette as I do. From my cultural upbringing. How many can you name a Bulgarian movie? Name a Bulgarian movie? I'll name two. Um, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire is a Bulgarian movie. And Victor Crumb being in the movie. Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows Part One, in which Victor Crumb was cut due to the geopolitical climate in Bulgaria at the time, was also a Bulgarian film. Anyways, um, I agree with everything that you said about Maria Bakalova, beloved Bulgarian actress. I'm glad that people are finally getting on board of the Bakalova train. I've been on there since 2015 when she was in, what did I, Tipichno, Tipichno. So really great that she's getting an an illustrious global career out of this film. Um, Good for her. I, my preferred winner was Rosamund Pike. I don't really know why. I don't love that movie that much. I, it kind of really bothers me in parts of it and it, it kind of, ruins a, a film that I was like adoring for the first 40 minutes, but none of that is really Rosamund Pike's fault. It's the writing's fault. And um, I think she's really great. And, you know, we can't, well, I mean, I was going to say we can't reward her for her 2014 performance as Amy Dunn, but apparently <laughs> if we just filmed the film again and then put it on Disney Plus, we could award her for her 2014 performance because that's what people try are trying to do with Lin-Manuel Miranda. But I digress. Rosamund Pike is great. um, And if this is a spiritual successor to Gone Girl, then we can reward that with this film in in a category that's sort of like whatever. But but I agree. Maria Bakalova, an absolute treasure. um, And I will be really excited to see where she goes after this. Mm -hmm. Um, And because the Sasha Baron Cohen career after Borat was kind of like, what do I do now? He kind of did a string of less good Borats. So it'll be interesting to see if she does actual more mainstream properties and gets to flex her other muscles mm-hmm. um, or if she's going to kind of be in this shtick and maybe we get like a Who is America part two or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So with that, we can move on to the performances from the drama categories. We've got best performance by an actor in a motion picture drama. Um, the first nomination is Chadwick Boseman. Then we have Riz Ahmed. Anthony Hopkins, Gary Oldman, and Tahir Rahim. The winner was, of course, Chadwick Boseman. Um, He was our predicted winner. He was the winner that we wanted. I don't know how much there is to say that hasn't already been said about Chadwick Boseman. Absolute travesty that he was taken from us um, kind of at the peak of his performance, but Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, an amazing final performance, and I'm glad it's being recognized. 
I, I will say that, it, you know, this performance deserves to be won regardless of Chadwick Boseman's passing. I think there would probably be probably be some question about whether he did win this category at the Glo- Golden Globe specifically if he didn't pass. But, um, you know, regardless, I think it's just a phenomenal performance in a very well done film. Yeah, I think his his performance was definitely the best part of that movie, in my opinion. And I I think it totally unsurprising that he won, totally well-deserved. The speech that his wife gave was incredibly moving um, and I thought spoke really well to to both reflect his essence and his absence at the same time. And it was it was incredibly moving. And I think that we're probably in for some more moments like that for the rest of the awards season, as I expect he'll win some other awards. awards. And it is weirdly like affirming to watch him be awarded. And it's also just that much more devastating to know that, um, you know, I'm sure that, you know, being recognized with with these, you know, awards isn't the most important thing in the world to him. But it's like one of those things where you just you wish that someone could see how much their work meant to people and you hope that they knew that. And I guess that's all we can do. Yeah, that was really well put. This was definitely a halt everything and look at the screen uninterrupted for five minutes as we watched his wife give that speech for him. Um, you know, a lot of this award ceremony is really silly and it's it's really easy to be like, uh, screw the Golden Globes, they don't mean anything. But I mean, you know, this kind of shows the best of what these award ceremonies can be, I think is like a kind of a, a cheesy way to put it is that like it, it does still mean something to people and to be able to like give platforms to these people that mean so much to other people is really special. So yeah, thank you, Chadwick Boseman. Um, we'll, we'll go ahead and move on, but um, I would be shocked if he loses anything for the rest of the, the season. Mm-hmm. So moving on to best performance by an actress in a motion picture drama, um, perhaps the exact opposite of the, the, the locked in win by Chadwick Boseman for the rest of the season. This category is, an absolute bloodbath. At this award show, we have nominated Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Andre Day for The United States vs. Billie Holiday, Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman, Frances McDormand for Nomadland, and Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman. Um, <laughs> this was easily the upset of the night. The most sure. shocking win because Frances McDormand did not win, Carrie Mulligan did not win. Two-time Oscar winner Viola Davis did not win, and up-and-comer with an amazing performance in Pieces of a Woman, Vanessa Kirby did not win. No, it was Andre Day, who I have been told has a phenomenal performance in the United States vs. Billie Holiday. We did not watch it because we heard that it was not very good. Um, so this is so shocking. Dana, you and I both predicted Francis McDormand. Um, and we wanted Carrie Mulligan to win. Why don't you just talk about how you're feeling about this category? Yeah, I was absolutely stupefied when they announced the name. And, I, and you know, I don't think it, you know, is fair to say anything about the performance. And I'm sure it's a really good performance. And, you know, um, we'll probably check out the movie at some point. Like you said, it's it's not getting great reviews. And, of course, you know, both can be true that the movie could be 
imperfect and there can be a great performance in it. But yeah, I mean, Pieces of a Woman is not particularly yeah, great, but that but performance yeah, Vanessa is. Vanessa Kirby yeah. has a good performance, but I don't think anyone saw this coming. Especially, I mean, I think popular opinion was that this was between Francis and Carrie, and you and I, at least, were certainly going back and forth about mm-hmm. will it be Francis or will it be Carrie. I think Viola Davis, you can't ever really count out. So she would, I would say, was my third person sort of in the ring because I just feel like if she's in a category, she's in the running. It's just like she's just that kind of person um, who just has like a sort of like Meryl Streep-ish energy where it's like it doesn't really matter what they did. Not that what they did wasn't good, but it's just like their persona is just so weighty. Mm-hmm. But um, I would have been happy with Francis or Carrie winning. So in my mind, when I was going back and forth, I was like, oh, I don't know. Um, and so it, I was completely shocked to see Andre Day win. And I really wonder what this means for the rest of the awards going forward. I think that any kind of prediction for this category has been thrown into complete disarray. <laughs> I wonder how much money someone made off of betting on this because the odds were probably so long. Yeah, I mean... I would be shocked if anybody actually did bet money on this because the odds were so long. But um, yeah, I mean, I I wish now that we had seen this movie, obviously, so that we could actually talk about the performance itself. She's actually singing in the role of Billie Holiday. So she's better than Oscar winner Rami Malek in (laughs) Bohemian Rhapsody. So she's got that going for her. I, I think the main takeaway from this is not so much that Andra Day is likely to be nominated for a best actress at the Oscar which is is very possible. I think it's more so that like no one has any idea who's going to win, right? Cuz if Carrie Mulligan had won this award, it'd be very promising, no pun intended, for her chances at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Now it's like I, I don't know. It, it it I my guess is that Frances McDormand will just win anyways at the Oscars. Um especially because Nomadland seems to be the now the front runner for best picture and also a clear lock for best director. So it'll be really interesting to see like who gets the last couple slots. I think both Carrie and Francis are kind of a lock. But now the question is, does Vanessa Kirby get kicked out? Does uh, Viola, Viola Davis is also probably a lock. So it's probably the last two. But does Vanessa Kirby get in this? Does Andre Day get in this? Does um, Jodie Foster? Mm-hmm. Does um, Rosamund Pike. Pike? I don't know. I, I think Maria Bakalova is probably going to be run as supporting yeah. at the Academy. I don't know why she wasn't here. Probably just because there's a musical category. Yeah. But um, this is a super bizarre category. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But you know what? I will say that this is infinitely more exciting than Renee Zellweger winning for a movie that nobody saw. And it being a guaranteed lock that she was going to win. She swept everything. Yeah, and so, I feel like last year, just all of the acting categories were locks because there was yeah. Renee, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, Brad Pitt for Hollywood. Like, I just feel and like- Laura it, Dern. Yeah, it was just like going through the motions where everyone was like, yep, I'm here to get my award. Yeah, so this will certainly be exciting. Um, my guess is that once we see SAG and Critics' Choice, there will be more of a front runner. But even so, it's kind of nice to live in- mystery for a little while unprecedented times yeah truly unprecedented times because of this and this alone i also did see something i think she's like the like second woman of color maybe to yep like win this award which is pretty crazy i mean well it's it's not crazy in that in the reality of 
the landscape. Unsurprising, yeah. but still um, shocking. Yeah. Yeah. But um, good for her. And uh, I'll be excited to see what she does next for sure. Let's go ahead and move on to the final three awards of the ceremony. First is Best Director. So we have David Fincher for Mank. Dana voted for that one for sure. <laughs> Regina King for One Night in Miami. Aaron Sorkin for The Trial of the Chicago 7. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. And Emerald Fennell for Promising Young Woman. So really exciting thing, of course, that this is the first time that there has been more than one female director nominated for Best Director at the Golden Globes. And there's three of them here. So that's really cool. Um, the winner was Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. This is who we predicted. This is who we wanted. This is now just the Chloe Zhao train leaving the station. And if you're not on it, you're wrong. She's going to win everything. She has won everything already. There's not much else to say here. <laughs> yeah. And she is is clearly such an artist. Um, you know, this is a I think this is a really beautiful movie. And I think her movies and her movies being this one and the rider being the only two that I've seen, um, you know, have such an authenticity to them and have such an intimacy to them. And I'm really excited to continue watching her movies. I know you're really excited for Eternals. Um, and I think everyone is, especially now on the on the wings of coming after Nomadland. And yeah, I think there's there's really no contest here. Um, and I will be pretty annoyed if Aaron Sorkin somehow pulls us out at a later um, <laughs> point. And also, I believe that she is also the second woman ever to win this award. And I believe the last time was 37 years ago. It was Barbara Streisand, I think. Oh, wow. Um, and so that's pretty insane that we can go two times in the entire history. And one of them being 37 years ago. So hopefully um, this is the dawn of um, much more frequency for women's representation in this category. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So congratulations to Chloe Zhao. Um, break a leg with the Eternals. That's going to be freaking awesome, I hope. Um, all right, let's go ahead and move on to best motion picture, musical or comedy. We've got Borat's subsequent movie film, Hamilton, music. That's the last time we'll talk about that movie. Palm Springs and The Prom. So the winner of this category was Borat's subsequent movie film. It was our predicted winner but not the winner that we wanted. So Dana, why don't you tell us about the winner that we wanted? So we both picked Palm Springs, which is just a, a sort of like classic, um, you know, escapist comedy that I think so many people have seen at this point um, that came out this year. And I think that, um, as I mentioned earlier, it would, I think that movies like that, that just bring people joy and do it well, um, aren't and aren't explicitly problematic or offensive yeah. or not a musical or yeah. a movie <laughs> just aren't um you know aren't valued as much as i feel like we should value them and i think that this is a really just well-made movie that you know it just hits in all the right places and it has just every component of a best comedy in it i was deciding uh closely between bora and palm springs and i like i'm not surprised or upset that Borat won, but I think it would have been really nice to reward Palm Springs because I do think that it's one of the best um, comedies of its kind that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, just in general, I think it's kind of other than Borat's subsequent movie film, the only good movie here. Yeah. Um, we talked about this as we were filling out our predictions and stuff. This category is 
offensive. Yeah. It is a travesty. Um, Borat, subsequent movie film, great movie, glad it won. Palm Springs, phenomenal movie. Hamilton, as I've said before, is not a movie. It is a recording of a stage production from four years ago or five, I guess, at this point. So I don't know why it is here, but it is. And I have not seen music. I will not see music because I don't want to contribute to that thing. But I trust that people's reactions to it are that it is bad. And I have seen The Prom and The Prom is very bad. So I can't believe those two films and Hamilton are nominated over some other comedy films that came out this year. Cough, cough, Eurovision, cough, cough. Okay, I mean, sure, Eurovision, fine. I I mean, but over, <laughs> over, over those, these, yes. that's but, what I'm saying. Yeah, but and, and I mean, I, I do think that this is like a, a weaker year, especially for comedies, because we you, don't get... Like, what would you contend belongs here? I would say King of Staten Island, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I mean, I would certainly say that's that's a better contender than these other ones. And I mean, there's a lot of indie comedies that could be here. I don't think they would ever feasibly be here, but like, yes, God, yes, was pretty good. Um, I didn't really care for the half of it, but I cared for it a lot more than the prom. Mm-hmm. Um, the princess switch too. Um, yeah, I no, mean, I'm, honestly, I'm just kidding about I, that one. I, mean, I would say to me that's better than. Um, <laughs> I mean. Well, I mean, it's better than Hamilton in the sense that it is technically okay, a movie. I'm not yes, saying but... The Princess Witch 2 is better than Hamilton, but I think it's better than The Prom, which I did see. And I, I don't need to see music to know that it's better. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm going to not die on that hill. I don't think it's better than The Prom. I think the, I think The Prom does have like good production design at the very least, which The Christmas Prince 2 switched again does not. But um, point being is there's a lot of other better comedies that could be here. And something like The King of Staten Island is a Judd Apatow, quote unquote, big budget for a comedy mm-hmm. film. I don't know why it wasn't nominated here. That seems bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even even the other Pete Davidson movie. What was that? Like Big, big Time, Time Rush? Big Time Adolescence. Yeah, that one. That Put that in here. Like, what the hell? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't understand the, I mean, the politics of it. I mean, other than... It had Meryl Streep and Nicole Kidman in it. Um, right, right. And Ryan Murphy, which apparently the yeah. Golden Globes love because they also nominated Ratchet. Yeah, which is insane also, as we did note. Yeah. Well, so anyways, um, we can go ahead and wrap it up here and go to our final award for the night, the Best Motion Picture Drama. The nominations were The Father, Mank, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and The Trial of the Chicago Seven. So the winner was Nomadland. Dana, you correctly predicted this. I was a little more skeptical, and I predicted the trial of the Chicago 7, but we both wanted Nomadland to win. So are you happy with this? Yeah, definitely. Um, Again, we already talked about it in Best Director, but I think that, to me, this is a much more unique movie and unique story. Um, I think it's very well made, and I'm glad to see that it is on a track to be a frontrunner for the rest of the award season. We should say that we haven't seen The Father because that's only in theaters right now. So we've seen all of these other um, nominees, but I guess maybe The Father will blow us away late in the game. I don't know when it's coming out on streaming, (laughs) Um, but it's supposed to be really good. But I would be surprised if um, we get more enthusiastic about that winning than we are about Nomadland. Yep, completely agree. And I mean, I think, again, just like Nomadland feels like a best picture film in the best version of what a best picture film could be. Mm-hmm. I think the trial of the Chicago Seven feels like a best picture 
winner in like the more cynical idea of what a best picture winner is and yeah. that it's very baity and stuff. So I while I do like that film, I'm glad that Nomadland is the more ambitious and it is the more awards worthy film of the two by a long shot. Mm-hmm. So just Chloe Zhao being able to put something remotely competent together from this kind of really bizarre, abstract, not very much of a plot film that connects with a lot of people and speaks to very human ideals and uh, speaks to ideas of humanity and everything like that is a real testament to how good that film is. Even if it doesn't like blow me away, I guess, as maybe other people have felt blown away by it. I don't know if that makes sense. But either way, um, it's really cool to have a best picture front runner that I'm like super happy with it winning. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we'll see what happens, um, you know, by the time it hits the Oscars, because as we know, anything can happen. Yeah, who knows? Maybe Borat, too, will uh, maybe get the best picture at Oscars. That would be quite wild. Well, anyways, um, that concludes our recap of the 2021 Golden Globes. But Dana, since we are on the Movie Marathoners podcast, let's end the episode with a marathon related question. So I have tasked you with picking one winner to run a marathon with and one winner to do a movie marathon with. The movie marathon can be whatever movie marathon you want. So who do you have? So um, for my winner to run a marathon with, I would run it with Sasha Baron Cohen because I feel like the only circumstance in which he would run a marathon would be like he was doing it for something he was making and he would be doing something like really absurd. And I feel like it would just be really funny to watch and fun to run with him. And for my winner to do a movie marathon with, I would pick Jodie Foster because her dog was so cute. And if I did a movie marathon with her, then I would probably get to sit next to her dog. And that sounds super fun. Very good picks. Um, I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to answer about this to question. <laughs> Mati, well, pick one winner to run a marathon with and one winner to do a movie marathon thank with. Thank you so much for asking, Dana. Um. The person that I would run a marathon with would be Jason Sudeikis. I think that would be fun. Um, I, feel I don't know like if he could keep up with you. I, I would slow down for him. And also, don't underestimate Jason Sudeikis. He's a bit more fit than he looks, I would say, especially in his Ted Lasso shape. You know, yeah. he's getting swole okay. for season two. No, I don't know. I mean, who who else would I pick? Like, I'm going to sound like a douche if I say nobody can keep up with me. But like, none of these people seem to be like diehard runners or anything. So. Um, Maybe John Boyega. I bet John Boyega could do it. Yeah. Probably in shape. Daniel Kaluuya. I don't know. But they're they're both pretty well built. Anyways, um, for the movie marathon, I think I would actually, you know, I'm just doing this. I'm just doing this off the top of my head. I didn't prepare for my own question, so I'm sorry. But um, I would pick John Boyega and I would do a Star Wars marathon. Would love to know every little thing that went behind all of those actions. And I bet he would have a lot of fun stories about how frustrating of an experience that final film was. Um, so now you bring up The Rise of Skywalker to complain. Oh, tables, how the turn have. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I, I guess I did call it's it It's time for our regular segment. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, uh, as I said, this has been our episode recapping the 2021 Golden Globes. Dana, thank you so much for joining me. Is there anything specific you want to plug here? Um, Charlie Baker, governor of Massachusetts, please open up the vaccine eligibility for the rest of the residents of your state, if you're listening. 
I know that you often tune in. Yeah, he, he's an avid listener of the movie Marathoners. He listens to it on all his runs. Yeah, um, I heard that he even predicted Andre Day. Is he nerdrovert in the movie Marathoners star <laughs> even draft? Even a blind squirrel. <laughs> well, anyways, yeah, please do that, Charlie Baker. And uh, if you're listening, take down all the Onward posters that are still up on the trash cans around my apartment because it's now March and it says that Onward will be in theaters on like March 6th. And it's, it's very confusing and disheartening. Okay. The intro music for this episode is a piece called Work by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his work at Incompetech.com. If you'd like to keep up with this podcast and find out when I release new episodes, you can follow me on Twitter at MovieMarapod or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash MovieMarapod. That's Movie M-A-R-A pod. And you can always reach out to the podcast via email by contacting MovieMarathonersPod at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast online at evergreenpodcasts.com slash movie dash marathoners or wherever you listen to podcasts please subscribe or write a review if you like the podcast and as always any feedback you have to help improve the podcast is always appreciated thank you all for listening and i hope you'll tune in next time when i am joined by my friend and frequent guest ian anderson and we will be reviewing wandavision by the time this episode comes out the finale for that show will be just a few days away and i'm sure there's going to be plenty to talk about good and bad, I think, uh, from my perspective. So stay tuned for that. Until then, remember that life's a marathon. So let's take it one movie at a time. Hi, I'm Christina Yerling Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential. Join me as I go way behind the scenes with some of the most influential people in entertainment and media. Hear actors such as Succession's Brian Cox talk about his favorite characters to play. There always has to be a mystery. The audience have to be in a situation where they want to know what's going on. Meet studio execs like Pixar chief Pete Docter and learn his secret on how he makes us cry. Emotion is our first language. And so many others who are defining popular culture, from Obama speechwriter David Litt to Top Chef host Padma Lakshmi. We don't often think about food politically or we don't want to, but it really is. Join me. Search for Pop Culture Confidential wherever you get your podcasts.